Welcome to Keep the Faith Ministry. Keep the Faith brings you timely messages with in-depth spiritual analysis of current events in light of Bible prophecy so you can prepare for the coming of Jesus. Listen to what the news won't tell you. Here is another important message for our times. This is Pastor Hal Mayer. Dear friends, just before the annual May Ten Commandments Day, it is perhaps important for us to consider what is happening in the area of Sunday laws and the separation of church and state. This month, our study will address this and update you concerning these things. There is much that is happening, and it behooves us to keep our eyes on it. But before I take up our topic for this month, I should mention a few things that are important to you. Perhaps you have watched the DVD about Heartland College. I hope you found it a great blessing and have been encouraged that there is a school where young people can train for missionary work along the principles of the Bible and spirit of prophecy. Heartland College is a great place for young people who want to work for God. If you know young people with that intention, please share the DVD with them. If you need more copies, you can contact Heartland College and ask for more. Their phone number and address are on the DVD label. To begin today, let us bow our heads in prayer. Our Father in heaven, once again we come to you humbly to seek your guidance in our study of prophecy. It is hard to imagine that the time of trouble is nearly upon us, but we pray that we will be faithful and that you will open to us the principles of righteousness and truth as we study the Sunday Law Movement. We pray that you will open our eyes and help us see things out of thy sacred book more clearly, in light of current events. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. On August 26, 2006, the Orlando Sentinel ran a story about U.S. Congress Representative Catherine Harris, a Republican from Florida who claimed that God did not intend for the United States to be a nation of secular laws, and that separation of church and state is a lie, we have been told, to keep religious people out of politics. If you're not electing Christians, she said, then in essence you are going to legislate sin. Harris told this to interviewers from the Florida Baptist Witness, the weekly journal of the Florida Baptist State Convention. Harris said her religious beliefs animate everything she does, including her votes in Congress. Harris, said the Sentinel, has always professed a deep Christian faith, but she has rarely expressed such a fervent evangelical perspective publicly. Though some criticized Harris as having a notion that politicians have been chosen or anointed, she was firm. We have to have the faithful in government, because that's God's will. Separating religion and politics is so wrong because God is the one who chooses our rulers, she said. And if we were the ones not actively involved in electing those godly men and women, then we're going to have a nation of secular laws. That's not what our founding fathers intended, and that certainly isn't what God intended. Let us think about what Representative Harris said. In her view... Conservative Christians should be the ones in public office and should make the laws of the land. 
While this sounds good to Christians, it is important to understand prophecy. Prophecy tells us that when Christians gain control of the government, there will be oppressive enactments to form the image of the beast and eventually enact Sunday laws against God's true commandment-keeping people. Last November, Catherine Harris tried to leave the House of Representatives and join the U.S. Senate. Her election bid for the Senate was defeated and she is no longer in Congress, even as a representative. Perhaps the angels are holding back the winds of strife. But this whole episode shows us that there is an undercurrent among some who to increase the profile of religious people in high positions with rather radical views, in some cases. They are working to elect people as rulers who will enact religious laws, which will inevitably involve Sunday laws. The present, and I believe temporary, return to democratic control of the U.S. Congress involves issues that revolve around President Bush's handling of the Iraq War, for the most part. It may also partly include some of the constitutional changes that he has made almost unilaterally since September 11, 2001. But frankly, the American people are not very concerned about the erosion of their Constitution. They are primarily unhappy with body bags coming home from Iraq with no end in sight. Let us read from Revelation 13, verses 15 through 17. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. These verses tell us that politicians will eventually make laws enforcing rest and worship on Sunday, and eventually forbidding the worship of Christ on the Bible Sabbath. These laws will increasingly be focused on those who refuse to worship the beast, the Roman Catholic Church on Rome's Holy Day, Sunday. There will also eventually be a death penalty for refusing Rome's authority. Rapidly, the laws and systems to enforce the no-buy, no-sell decree of these verses and death penalties are being put in place in the name of fighting terrorism. May God help us to be faithful to the Ten Commandments now so that we will be faithful then. I also want to show you from the spirit of prophecy what is planned for God's people. This is from the book Great Controversy, page 592. Notice the unity that is coming to church and state. The dignitaries of church and state will unite to bribe, persuade, or compel all classes to honor the Sunday. The lack of divine authority will be supplied by oppressive enactments. Political corruption is destroying love of justice and regard for truth, and even in free America, Rulers and legislators, in order to secure public favor, will yield to the popular demand for a law enforcing Sunday observance. Liberty of conscience, which has cost so great a sacrifice, will no longer be respected. In the soon coming conflict we shall see exemplify the prophet's words, The dragon was wroth with a woman, and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ, Revelation 12, 17. 
The movement is afoot in other countries as well. On December 25, 2006, the Australian reported on the comments of the Anglican Archbishop at Christmas Midnight Mass in Brisbane to reclaim Sunday. I will read some of the article. Australians need to reclaim Sundays for family, friends, and community life, Brisbane's Anglican Archbishop Philip Aspinall says. People should spend time with each other and have a chance to reconnect, he told the congregation at Midnight Mass in Brisbane's St. John's Anglican Cathedral. In previous generations, Sunday was a day kept sacred, not just by churchgoers, but by most Australians, who tended to spend the day with family, friends, and the local community. But the loss of the traditional Sunday, a day of downtime, where the pace slowed and families and communities had time to interact, was a threat to the fabric of Australian life. No one seems to have enough time anymore, time for their children or time for their families or time to do things in the local community outside work, Dr. Aspinall said. We need now, more than ever, a holiday, a holy day. Whether or not Australians are religious or active churchgoers, the rhythm of life itself demanded a day of rest. Our health and well-being as individuals, as families, and as a society ultimately depends on it, said Aspinall. Each week, we need a little time to lift the corner of the veil and catch a glimpse of heaven to allow the principles and power of that world to flow into our everyday life. Meanwhile, Uniting Church moderator of the Queensland Synod, Reverend David Pittman, said that too often Australians are motivated by self-interest rather than concern for the well-being of the whole community. The end result of our apathy and selfishness is that many issues in our society are dealt with on the basis of political expediency rather than with the specific intention to act justly for the good of all, said Pittman. That is why unemployment, poverty, homelessness, and child welfare continue to be major problems in our nation. But the birth of Christ showed people they were meant to be active participants in what God wants to achieve for all humanity, Reverend Pittman said. The year 2006 had been challenging for Australia with more overt racism than had been seen for many years, an industrial conflict. When we face crises of this kind in our society, we can be passive spectators making useless efforts from our armchairs, or we can adopt a position of self-interest and pursue goals which benefit only ourselves and those who agree with us, or we can become genuine participants in working for outcomes which ultimately benefit the majority, he said. There is a choice involved here that we all need to make, said Pittman, through the birth of Christ, God chose to become involved in our world for our sake. We have the opportunity to become involved for the sake of others, seeking to make this world the place that God intended it to be. Well, I'm sure you noted that these men are calling to make Sunday a holy day, not just a day of rest and relaxation for secular reasons. They also suggested that historically even non-religious people made Sunday sacred. While that is hard to imagine, it is not difficult to understand that secular people no doubt took advantage of a day off of work to do their secular things and spend time with their families. 
Keep in mind that the definition of keeping Sunday sacred is quite different from the idea, the Bible idea, of keeping the Sabbath sacred. Sabbath keepers know the Bible instruction not to conduct business such as buying and selling on the Sabbath as well as refraining from other secular activities. But Sunday keepers don't keep Sunday in the same way as the Bible enjoins on the Sabbath, giving the clearest evidence that they don't really view Sunday as a sacred day. It is just an expedient that has political advantage for Rome and for themselves. You also probably noted that the argument to support Sunday included the idea of benefiting only the majority, not the minorities that might object to such a law. Not many people would argue that a government can't make laws requiring rest one day a week. Most would not argue that a government doesn't have a right to even require the day of rest to be Sunday, wherever possible. But the key issue is that these conspirators are trying to develop a political argument that Sunday should become a holy day, not just a mere secular day of rest. Though the United States and other nations are not quite ready for Sunday laws, there are movements afoot to bring them about. The Bible tells us this. Some of you probably remember that we have quoted Psalm 94 in the past. Let us remind ourselves of it again. It is verse 20 and 21. Listen. Shall the throne of iniquity have fellowship with thee, which frameth mischief by a law? They gather themselves together against the soul of the righteous, and condemn the innocent blood. Notice that the conspiracy is to make mischief through a law that will condemn the righteous. The next two verses tell us what God is going to do about it. But the Lord is my defense, and my God is the rock of my refuge, and he shall bring upon them their own iniquity, and shall cut them off in their own wickedness. Yea, the Lord our God shall cut them off. The Bible tells us that God is the rock of our refuge. And if we are living the Ten Commandments, which is the rock in the most holy place of the earthly sanctuary, and which is the transcript of the character of Christ in the most holy place of the celestial sanctuary, He can indeed be our defense if we honor Him and live by those principles of the law of His character. The Scriptures tie protection into obedience to God's rock or His Ten Commandments, which is His character. This is really important, and I hope and pray that you will do what I am doing. I have prayed that the Lord will purify me and send all my sins beforehand into judgment so that He can blot them out. Notice what 1 Timothy 5.24 says, Some men's sins are open beforehand, going before to judgment, and some men they follow after. In other words, those who are faithful to Christ have their sins taken into judgment before the close of probation. Others do not. This is the difference between the righteous and the wicked. The righteous are having victory over their sins and they don't do them anymore. Their sins can be sent beforehand into judgment and blotted out so that when the close of probation occurs, they are purified and ready to stand for Jesus without a mediator, though they are under the greatest pressure to yield to the control of Satan. I want to have victory over my sins now and not do them anymore. 
so that he can cast them into his wonderful forgetfulness and never remember them again. Until I have victory over them, he cannot blot them out because I keep doing them. My confessed sins are still resting on the sanctuary in heaven, waiting for me to be purified in my heart and life. When I have victory over them, he can blot them out completely and never have them come back to challenge his justice in saving me eternally. And how do I have victory over my sins? Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So if Jesus lives in you, you have his character, his law, in you, and you won't sin anymore. Because it is no more you that is living, but Christ is living in you. Isn't that wonderful? But the trouble is that most people don't allow Jesus to take over their lives. Please, my friend, let Jesus take over your life today. The Sunday Law conspiracy is being held back by the angels of heaven to give time. They are preventing the fulfillment of prophecy until they know that everything possible has been done to save anyone who is willing to be saved. God is so merciful, but His mercy will not last forever. The time will come when the angels will be told to let go of the winds of strife, and God's people will be thrown into a Sunday law crisis with its oppression and ultimately its death penalty. Pope Benedict XVI is following in the footsteps of John Paul II in calling for Sunday sacredness. He knows that he has all the Sunday-keeping churches with him. They use the same arguments to overthrow the Ten Commandments. It is going to be easy for all the other Sunday-keeping churches in the Americas, Europe, the African continent, Asia, Eurasia, and the South Pacific to follow Rome's lead and pressure their governments to enact Sunday laws when there is a sufficient crisis for justifying enforcing Sunday worship. Remember that apostate Protestantism in the United States will force Sunday worship in the New World, while Rome will enforce it in the Old World and in the countries she controls. Other countries will follow her lead. On December 1, 2006, Pope Benedict XVI sent a letter to Cardinal Francis Ahrens in charge of the meeting of the Congregation for Divine Worship that was having a study day about the Sunday Mass. Here is what Pope Benedict said in his letter. Sunday, wrote the Pope, remains the fundamental seedbed and the primordial nucleus of the liturgical year, a fragment of time pervaded by eternity. What does primordial nucleus mean? It simply means that Sunday is the central focus of worship and that all other church activities and benefits surround it. It is the original and most essential element that gives rise to all the rest of Rome's worship and around which the rest of Rome's teaching would have no meaning. That is what Pope Benedict means by primordial nucleus. If Benedict was talking about the true Seventh-day Sabbath, he might have a point, at least to some extent, about being the nucleus around which all else circulates. But he's talking about Sunday observance, not the Bible Sabbath. 
Today, the Pope continued, it is more than ever necessary to reiterate the sacred nature of the Lord's Day and the need to participate in Sunday Mass. So the Pope's point is that Sunday worship, and in particular Sunday Mass, is the essential sacred moment rather than God's sacred holy Sabbath. Sunday was not chosen by the Christian community, he wrote, rather by the apostles, indeed by Christ himself, who on that day, the first day of the week, arose and appeared before the disciples. Each Sunday celebration of the Eucharist enacts the sanctification of Christian people until that Sunday without end, the day of the definitive encounter with God, with his creatures. Of course, the Pope is historically wrong about the day being chosen by Christ and his apostles. There is not one shred of biblical proof for that. In fact, the Bible actually supports the opposite conclusion, that the ancient Sabbath was maintained by Christ before his death and by his apostles after his resurrection. His resurrection in no way authorizes a change in something as clear and potent as the Ten Commandments. The Catholic Church is not the only church calling for Sunday rest. Evangelicals have often urged that the Ten Commandments were done away with at the cross, something that Rome has never historically said. But this teaching only opened the floodgates of immorality, and now evangelicals and others have switched their tactics. They can see that unless the Ten Commandments play an important part in the lives of the people, society will become increasingly immoral. For quite a number of years now, the Protestants and Evangelicals have resurrected the idea that the Ten Commandments must be kept as a barrier against immorality. They teach, however, that the Sabbath has been changed, or rather done away with at the cross, and advocate Sunday observance instead. Ellen White predicted that this would happen. She wrote in Great Controversy 586 that the blame for the moral decline is largely laid at the feet of Sunday-keeping religious leaders because they do not want to obey God and keep the true Sabbath in accordance with God's law. And as the claims of the fourth commandment are urged upon the people, it is found that the observance of the seventh-day Sabbath is enjoined, and as the only way to free themselves from a duty which they are unwilling to perform— Popular teachers declare that the law of God is no longer binding. Thus, they cast away the law and the Sabbath together. And as the work of Sabbath reform extends, this rejection of the divine law to avoid the claims of the fourth commandment will become well-nigh universal. The teachings of religious leaders have opened the door to infidelity, to spiritualism, and to contempt for God's holy law. And upon these leaders rests a fearful responsibility for the iniquity that exists in the Christian world. So it is essentially the religious leaders who have taught that it is not necessary to keep the law, or that the Ten Commandments were done away with at the cross, which has brought the moral problems that exist in our world today. But now, many of these same churches have switched their position. They still teach that it isn't necessary to keep the Bible Sabbath, but are now urging that the Ten Commandments must be kept, and that Sunday must be observed as a day of rest, in order to improve the morals of society. I'll read it to you from Great Controversy 588 and 589. Then I will read to you from a prominent and popular evangelical preacher. Yet this very class, that is, those who claimed that the law was no longer binding, 
put forth the claim that the fast-spreading corruption is largely attributable to the desecration of the so-called Christian Sabbath, and that the enforcement of Sunday observance would greatly improve the morals of society. This claim is especially urged in America, where the doctrine of the true Sabbath has been most widely preached. Just before the last Ten Commandments Day, in May of 2006, one of the most famous evangelical preachers, Dr. D. James Kennedy, the pastor of Coral Ridge Ministries in Coral Ridge, Florida, who has thousands upon thousands of followers, published a new book just in time for the Ten Commandments Day celebrations called Why the Ten Commandments. In it, he skillfully argues that the Sabbath is still to be kept in modern times. One of the key points he makes is that the morality of a nation depends on keeping the Sabbath. I'll read it to you. Have you ever heard the old saying, he writes, As goes the Sabbath, so goes the nation? It's true. When the Sabbath becomes profaned and desecrated, a nation sinks deeper and deeper into the mire of sin, and that has a profound negative impact on any country. And if we are looking for another practical reason to keep the Sabbath holy, here, surely, is an urgent one. Christians need to understand that the keeping of the Sabbath really does create a moral climate in our culture. It promotes an awareness that God and His ways and His laws are important to all of us. Without public morality, our secular laws have less meaning. The result is that lawlessness rises and our nation sinks into crime, fear, disorder, and injustice. Just as God's servant predicted, popular religious leaders are now attempting con to convince Sunday keepers that they are right to continue disobeying God's commandment in the name of honoring God's Sabbath, which they define as Sunday. This twisted logic can only come from the source of all rebellion to God, Satan himself and they press the urgency of the matter to suggest that we must do something about it. The obvious solution is Sunday legislation, which is the natural outcome of such agitation. Dr. Kennedy continues, Before there was a state, before there was a church, before there was a family, the first institution God gave to mankind was the Sabbath. Actually, the family was first. Marriage between one man and one woman was the first institution God gave to mankind, and the second was the Sabbath. But both of them together were designed to protect society from moral decline. By redefining the Sabbath as Sunday, evangelical preachers are now suggesting, and not too subtly, that the Christian Sabbath is something that the state should legislate. Note that this is a rather blatant suggestion that because the Sabbath pre-existed the state, the state ought to observe and protect the Sabbath, meaning Sunday, of course. Let me read it again. Before the state, before the church, before the family, the first institution God gave to mankind was the Sabbath. On July 2, 2006, USA Today published an article in which a minister asked for a formal day of rest. Whether religious or not, wrote Henry G. Brinton, pastor of the Fairfax, Virginia Presbyterian Church, people know that they need to take a day off in order to maintain their sanity and remain efficient and productive at work. But I'm convinced that downtime is not enough. We need a formal day of rest. A true Sabbath gives us time to refresh and renew ourselves. 
regain proper perspective and redirect our lives to what is good and true and worthwhile. For much of this country's history, blue laws kept businesses closed on Sundays, forcing Americans to focus on church-going, rest, and relaxation. Although many people resented these limitations, these laws did have the beneficial effect of creating a day of rest. But in the past century, and particularly since the 60s, states have relaxed these rules regulating business on Sunday as our consumer-driven culture has gone into overdrive. What began as a trickle soon became a raging river. Today, almost every mall, theater, and restaurant is operating seven days a week. Even in Europe, where church-going has been in decline for years, Sunday has been, until recently, a day in which most businesses were closed, allowing people to spend time with family members and friends. Well, what does he mean by a formal day of rest? There might be those who argue that he is merely calling for individuals to specifically set time aside for rest. But this is not the object of this article. The article was about Sunday blue laws. This was another public suggestion in the only nationwide newspaper in the United States for more Sunday blue laws designed to force people to rest from their labors. Then on September 11, 2006, exactly five years from the terrorist attacks on New York and Washington, D.C., the Christian Science Monitor published an article that agitated the issue again. Under the title, Maybe Blue Laws Weren't So Bad, David R. Francis asked what the consequences have been after the Sunday Blue Laws have largely been repealed or weakened. It may be no surprise, wrote Mr. Francis, that families took advantage of the changes in the blue laws to scoot to the mall on Sundays. Faced with such secular competition, attendance and donations at church have fallen. He cited a recent study done by Daniel Hungerman, an economist at Catholic Notre Dame University, and John Gruber, an economist at Massachusetts Institute of Technology. In this study, Gruber and Hungerman find that after blue laws are repealed by a state, religious attendance drops about 5% on average. About 15% of those who had been attending religious services weekly no longer attend so regularly. Religious contributions declined 13%, or about $109 per person per year. Spending by religious institutions falls by about 6.3%. Drinking rates by youths go up. Marijuana use goes up. Similarly, the gap between the non-religious and the religious taking cocaine, 3% versus 1.5%, closed entirely. The study, said Mr. Francis, raises an old issue. To what extent should government interfere in activities of its citizens, even when that interference may be helpful? Armed with new studies like this, religious leaders will eventually press for a resurrection of Sunday blue laws and even worship laws once Americans are faced with a huge crisis that they think will only be solved by getting America back to God. The debate over Sunday observance is not confined to the United States. Incidentally, if any of our listeners come across articles concerning the issue of Sunday laws in any country, please send them to us or email them. 
On June 25, 2006, the Associated Press reported that in France, Sunday laws have become a point of debate. Most places in France you can't shop on Sunday. The Chaux-Élysées is an exception, sort of. You can buy T-shirts at the Quicksilver on Paris' most famous avenue, but not at the Gap. You can browse for CDs at Virgin Megastore, but forget luggage at Louis Vuitton. French businesses and unions have battled for years over whether Sunday should remain a day of rest, worship, and leisurely family lunches, and the tug-of-war has left behind a patchwork of baffling regulations on who can sell what and where. Now, two high-profile legal battles have raised the question again. Supporters say Sunday shopping would help cut the 9.3% unemployment rate and point to a poll suggesting three-quarters of Parisians like the idea. But the courts have ruled, and the answer is no. The debate resurfaced after Louis Vuitton opened a new store last fall in the Chaux-Élysées, an airy 21,500-square-foot temple to handbags and high fashion, with the intention of opening Sundays. Vuitton says 70 of its 300 employees were hired for that purpose and were willing to work, and the shop had permission from the top local official. But two groups filed a lawsuit, the National Clothing Federation and the French Christian Labor Union. Vuitton argued that it met the complex criteria for opening Sundays, which included being in a touristy area and having a cultural, recreational, or sports dimension. The company pointed to the, books, the store's bookstore and art gallery, which was open to all, not just shoppers. But in late May, Paris Administrative Court ordered the shop to close Sundays. Vuitton said it would appeal, and in a statement called the decision totally incomprehensible. Throughout Europe, laws differ vastly. In Sweden, most shops stay open Sundays. Poland stores are open, but the Roman Catholic Church has been fighting to force shopping malls and supermarkets to close. The church is leading a similar battle in Croatia. Officials know the law is old and stupid, and at the same time they don't want to change it because of the Catholic tradition and social issues, said Jean-Patrick Grumberg, president of the Association of Shop Owners. Obviously, the Catholic Church still has enormous influence, even in a secular country like France. But most shops are closed on Sundays throughout Europe, with some exceptions. My friends, these things tell us that the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. We must be watching. We must warn the world of the impending crisis. We must always find ways to reach out to those that don't know the truth. Are you ready, my friends? Let us review the Sabbath commandment, Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day 
and hallowed it. Notice that the commandment, which is still binding, requires the seventh day, not the first. Have you memorized the Sabbath commandment along with all the others? If you haven't, this is a very good time to do so. May the Lord Jesus help us understand that the law is the law of love and that when we keep it, we are not returning to legalism, but we are loving Jesus more. Next month, there will be the second annual Ten Commandments Day sponsored by the Ten Commandments Commission. This organization is urging all churches to emphasize the Ten Commandments in sermons and organize community events to emphasize the importance of the Ten Commandments in society. I intend to report on their movements, so stay tuned. But let us pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for giving us your sure word of prophecy. And as we see the onward marching events in this time of rapidly fulfilling prophecy, we pray that we might be given special grace to love you and keep your law fully. If Jesus lives in us, we have his character, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. O Lord, come in and live your life in us, so that we will be like Jesus and do just exactly as he did. He kept the Sabbath, and when he lives in us, he puts his character in us, and we will also keep his Sabbath holy because we love him. May his righteousness inspire us with power and hope for the future, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. that you have received a great blessing from this month's message.
Your prayers and gifts mean much to us. Thank you for your support. The song you have just heard is Take Time to Be Holy, sung by Melissa Collette.